Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussions, news, and interviews presenting the film scene with Ileana Douglas. Ileana is an actress, writer, author, and film historian with a need to discuss movies that borders on obsession. You'll learn the history of movies one great story at a time. The film scene is the deep cuts of movie podcasts featuring movies we love by the people who made them. And now, Ileana Douglas. Ladies and gentlemen, Ileana Douglas and I are sitting in the office of Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I know, and here's the thing. They're not here because uh, it's lunch. So they went to get lunch, and uh, they left us here alone in their office. And it's incredible. There's, like, life-size Smothers Brothers and all the posters of all their movies, Larry Flint, People versus O.J. Simpson, Man on the Moon, Ed Wood, of course, which is unbelievable. Uh, all sorts of – Larry's – great movie lover so look at this there's a 2000 uh year old man record album signed by mel brooks that's pretty cool i think it's the perfect level of like organized chaos that makes a production office seem perfect yeah i was thinking if uh well they went out and then they this is where you kind of wonder did they leave a secret camera and they record they're watching us on their phones looky loo through everything i said if they came back and then, you know, find us uh, tied up and the, the place has been robbed, like, please don't, you know. They said it's very safe. We have it on record if it happens. I so. said it. I did say it. Well, now it's recorded. So. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, Jeff stepped up his snack game. You brought uh, your poppy seed cake. For the I day. did, yes, in honor of the holidays. And this will be dropping, I think, today it's the 19th, but I think we'll drop it sometime closer to Christmas. My wife and I do bake 46 loaves of poppy seed bread in a Hollywood bungalow every year. Oh, my God. That's amazing. How, how long does that take you? It takes about 12 hours, um, but we have a system down. We have two mixers, so it's uh, very fun. Wow. I love that. Any drinking involved? Of course, yeah. I think eggnog and whiskey is perfect. And we have romantic comedies like Love Actually in the background playing all day. I love that. Yeah, it's very fun. I was listening to my, uh, you know, the... Vince uh, Guaraldi, the the Peanuts today. That's my favorite Christmas music. Um, so what else? It's uh, well, this is going to be our last. This is our Christmas show. Last show of the year, so we'll definitely do awards type discussion coming next year. I think yes. at that point, uh, everything is going to be out. But yeah, it's uh, last show of the year, which is crazy. I mean, it goes so fast. Yes, it it's been an amazing year. Uh, we've had a lot of fun. Now, let's yeah. think of all the great people we've interviewed. No, that live show with Bella Lugosi Jr. was pretty. We have D. Wallace booked for the ninth when we get back, which is exciting. So we'll be very, off to a strong start. I'm very excited about that. Okay, I'm so nervous. Are they? That's not them. That's just a person. It's another guy. But he, I will say he he's also has right a, towards us. May, I wonder if he has a meeting. Maybe he's joining the podcast. Yeah, we'll see. He's walking right towards us. Here we go. I knew this was going to happen. You can say we look different in person. Oh, okay. No, he's not. <laughs> God, I was. The, I would be the world's worst assistant. <laughs> who, who is this? This is like a picture of me when I worked for, you know, Peggy Siegel and all these pe- people back in the day, Frank Perry. I would get so caught up in these my own crazy drama. We could take their next meeting, though, and help with development. And I used to do script coverage. I would like to. I think Tammy Smothers is looking at me. That is. I'm going to take we're going to take a picture of this and put it up on Definitely. the so when you look around the room, Ileana, we see People versus Larry Flint, Big Eyes, Ed Wood, Man on the Moon. Any movies in particular that these guys have made that you feel well, is especially resonant? I mean, Ed Wood is, yeah. the, is the holy grail. And I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about on the show, too. This idea that they've made actually a lot of films about people working on the fringes yeah. of Hollywood and people who have a dream to make movies. And, uh, you know, I, I know La- I know Scott less well, but Larry is such a movie lover himself that I feel like all their films are infused with that. I'll be interested to hear their take on The Disaster Artist. I don't know if you got a chance to catch that movie. That was the James Franco, just right. because that's kind of the same tradition of outsiders who will stop at no cost to get their thing made. Yes, I, rem- I remember. But I love, but that, that's sort of how Dolomite is. And um, I, as you know, I love the film, so I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, my God, there's so many. I'm looking over at all the other little goodies here. Great posters. There's some uh, signed Groucho Marx stuff. I'm a big Groucho Marx. We're going to walk and travel and look at this uh, signed Groucho Marx material. Oh, that is cool. 
You want to read that? To Larry and M. M is his wife, Emily. Thanks again for the great party. Wow. So cool. What year was that, I wonder? But that's that's fantastic. Drew Friedman. Being a comedian. Chris Problem Child. Delicious, great modern news clip thing from... I like all the boxes, too. Lots of pictures of modern romance. I feel like Ira Glass, the way we're handling this. The walk and talk. Wait, this is great. Look at this. This is like a breakdown of all of their scenes. So for any of you writer nerds, you know that a ton of screenwriters will index card the major beats of the film they're writing. And here we go. We are looking at an index card whiteboard of what's presumably the next hit that Scott and Larry are going to be writing. Could be. Pretty I cool. Love it. Some changes of clothes. That's pretty neat. I like that. Oh, Hogan's Heroes. Some Hogan's Heroes. Stuff. Some Dolomite stuff. Some Dolomite stuff, which is great. Did they write Goosebumps? Or do they just have a Goosebumps poster? That was a. This movie was much better well, than it needed to be. Let's look in the credits. Yeah, here it is, Scott Alexander. I'm not surprised because this was actually a great film. A yeah. lot of times, those um, you know YA adaptations kind of fall into a cycle, but Goosebumps was yes. much better than it needed to be. It's a great film. Agent Cody Banks. Oh, Agent Cody Banks. That was a classic yeah. for me growing up. And you know, of course, they wrote you know the the problem child. The connection yeah. with that was that. Uh, uh, Marty loved the movie, thought it was really funny. So when when we were doing Cape Fear and they needed a movie for Robert De Niro to be laughing maniacally at, they put in Problem Child. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. That was like an inside joke. And that was what I what I met uh, Larry. I told him that. So he's he's been dining out on that for years. Okay. Here they I love come. it. Here they come. All right, we're gonna be right back, guys. We're starting the show, and that was your tour of Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander's office. I am here with Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, and you know you were my you were my very first back That's right back on the I old podcast. That. Now it's the new. We're na- mm-hmm. I'm, we, we, you were I, our first what? First my guest. First guest. Oh, okay. I mumble. I tend to mumble. Sorry. Um, the and everybody walks through. I feel like they're coming here, but they're not. No. Then they turn the corner. Yeah. Try not to make eye contact. Sorry. <laughs> I know it's me. It's me. I'm distracted. Uh, but anyway, so my dream has always been to have our office be in a retail space. It's like right <laughs> on the street where like used to used to be a dry cleaners and there's Scott and Larry typing in the middle of this, you know. I will say we walked up to a salon and I panicked and I was like, oh no, it's it's back in the alley. Yeah. So yeah, yes, yeah. in the courtyard. I right was there. distracted by the. I said that Paul Mazursky's so office. I, I once, I, I, when we were moving offices one time, I actually looked into a storefront and someone explained to me that there's th- this thing in real estate called triple net, which is you have to pay like three times the property tax if you're running a retail store. And I explained to Larry that we would actually be having to pay like extra taxes on our writing income <laughs> just for the privilege of people being able to look at us through the window. Yeah. Well, this at one point, what I think was a uh, it was it was a clothing thing before we got it, but before that, I think it was a hair salon because we had them take out there was like special sinks back there for washing your oh, hair. Oh, yeah. the Jeez, I would have. <laughs> yeah. You would have kept them. I could give you a nice little head. Yes, if you if you go with our project, where you get mm-hmm. a you get a free uh, shampoo. Uh, so anyway, I thank you so much for for doing this. I just got formal all of a sudden. Um, but I love uh, you know I love the movie Dolomite. And I've been a fan of all of your films. And I, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was it true that Eddie Murphy, you went, you went and met with him, and he redid scenes from Ed Wood. Yeah, no, yeah. it was crazy. That was the first. Uh, we got a call saying that Eddie Murphy wanted to meet us, and we went to his office, and he just sort of launched into uh, doing Tor Johnson and doing Bela Lugosi, and it turned out he was a gigantic fan of Ed Wood, and uh, and he looked at us and said, "Do you guys know who Rudy Moore is?" I mean, this is 16, 17 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, uh, Scott and I were huge Rudy Ray Moore fans. Uh, you were? Like, yes. Uh, from the sort of the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I loved Black Quotation in the 70s, and I grew up on all that stuff. But Rudy, I didn't know, really know Rudy's work back then. But in the 80s, we discovered his stuff on VHS. Uh, we actually discovered the trailers first, actually from a, another guest of your show, Dan Waters, uh-huh. was our roommate at the time, and he uh-huh. ran a video store. Uh-huh. Uh, Dan was running a video house on Glendale Boulevard. Right. And he came home with the best of sex and violence, which is a two-hour <laughs> compilation of trailers. And because he was the manager, we kept the tape. Yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't return it. And then we would just keep watching Human Tornado, Disco Godfather, and Dolomite trailers over and over and over. Yeah, it's so amazing. Were you? Was it a select group? I because I remember in the back in the day when uh, like having a VHS tape 
was so important, you know, you'd have to. Well, it was funny. He actually did this. This, this oh, ties yeah, into I, this. I, was I'm, I'm I'm proud of this. I, I've I've kind of put this together in my memory thinking about this, which is back in early VHS, the studios didn't want people to own product right. because was, they were very nervous about piracy and this whole rental. thing. And then there was some like some law that lending libraries had a right to lend, and 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 so they priced movies crazy high and everyone forgets this if you wanted to go buy the burbs it would have cost you a hundred dollars <laughs> back in the 80s right you know and so they you were discouraged from ownership and so i wanted to buy larry rudy movies for his birthday but you couldn't you couldn't go into a store and buy it right, there's no, yeah. because there's no, no store is going to carry a hundred dollar copy of human tornado yes so i actually opened the white pages i found xenon video out in santa monica and i drove out to their warehouse i just showed up with cash that was the only way to buy a movie, right? And they thought that you were crazy because they were like they're not they didn't have like a little register. They weren't really prepared for yeah. walk-ins. Yeah, because I didn't even I don't think I heard about Dolomite until maybe five years ago or okay. something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it started well, kind of well, making the rounds. Reggie Hudlin uh, did a major shout out when he uh, he put Dolomite on the TV in House Party. Right. And Robin Harris is always watching Dolomite and trying to get his son to like come over here. Let's, let's watch let's watch Dolomite together. Yes. And yeah. and then there and then there was a clip. Right. It might even be uh, there might even be a shout out in Baby's Kids about it too. I mean, <laughs> Reg, Reggie was obsessed with Rudy as well. So had Eddie. So w w did you immediately think cause you've done so many movies that are uh, you've done a lot of movies of the take place in Hollywood. Too, yes. No. Uh, we've actually That's a little weird. It's a we, secret we history of Los Angeles. Into that. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many movies. I mean, uh, Ed Wood, Larry Flint, uh, Dolomite, Man on the Moon. The People versus OJ is yeah. is, is, is autofocus. Autofocus. Oh my god. Um, and it's and Wait a what's minute. great is it's like, everything. It's everything, everything except big guys. Except big guys is in San LA? Francisco. Yes. That is even, weird. Even you could even say you know OJ Simpson was on the periphery of he was an actor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah. But, but, no no, no but, but OJ is very much about Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. So it's all it and it's amazing how many stories that Los Angeles yeah. has encompassed. And what's amazing about our films is that we all shot them in Los Angeles. That was really important. That was particularly about OJ. I remember when we first started researching the project, we put on some uh, uh, crappy like cable movie that was made like mm -hmm. back in the nineties, and you know the first it was like one of those you know cheesy shot in 16 days right <laughs> but it was like you know the first shot was like you know oh, Brentwood California the, the, the title came up and it was clearly like Vancouver or something it was <laughs> just, it's like and it, without that I mean the you know I'm sorry the plot of the people versus OJ Simpson is about the city of Los Angeles yes you know um, and uh, uh, you know and, and I'd say we, we have a lot of fun like even in Dolomite it's like a great it's a great tribute to the city of Los Angeles I think so you know what's interesting was I saw Dolomite not too long after I'd seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. and I I, also, I actually thought they're they companion pieces. They they, com they they were very very compatible. Well, we were shooting at the same time. Yeah, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, which was funny. A couple times I was driving to our set and I accidentally drove in a Quentin set. Oh, that's because great. because we were blocks away from each yeah. other. Yeah, you yeah. literally drive down we'd, Sunset we'd Boulevard. We'd be on Gower and he'd be on Coenga. Yeah, or you drive down you pass you pass a couple blocks of 1969 Los Angeles, uh -huh. then it go back to the, you know the 2000s, <laughs> and then you then you'd hit like 1974 Los Angeles. Yeah, but he, he could afford you know two blocks. We would have a storefront. Yeah, well, we actually got in a war with Quentin uh, uh, because. Uh, he had a bunch of marquees. He is a fetish of putting marquees of movies in this theater, in, yeah. in his movies. Yes. And we had a couple of those too. We actually had more in our thing that, that they actually got cut out. They were but expensive. They were, but um, just to use the name or the to physically to, make the marquee. Physically build it. Actually, but we shot them. We shot Serpico. You did some beautiful. We shot, we shot some cool things like that, and um, yeah. um, and the scenes got cut. But so every time we would do one. You know, uh, we would like we'd one up each other. We'd send something fun like, "All right, we, we see your Krakatoa east of Java, and we raise you a, you know, we raise you a Serpico, we raise you a." Well, the best part was um, we funny. had a, uh, another scene that was cut. We had a scene at Six Place at Universal, and there was a poster for a movie called "I Love My Wife," which is with Elliot Gould and Brenda Baccaro. <laughs> We're like, "Fuck you, Quentin. We got we got I Love My Wife with Brenda Baccaro," and he wrote back, "Oh, big deal. You got a poster of Brenda Baccaro." Brenda Vaccaro's in my movie. We're like, all right, you win. Like, he Quentin always wins. It's like, so yeah, unfortunately, that, he always wins. Yeah, that, that right. is a good win. Can't beat City Hall. Yeah. The, uh, I'm skipping out of order, but because you're mentioning movies, why the, at a certain point in the film they all go to see 
with the front page. Yes. 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 Uh, directed by Billy Wilder. Yes. Any particular reason that they, uh, although it's incredibly funny that they're okay, all Okay, well, it, there, it, but... in, our, in our script for a full year, uh, it was a touch of class. And we were so pleased with ourselves <laughs> because funny, yeah. Larry and I, we, we love obscurity. We, we, we love the ephemera of culture and the ephemera of art. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard for stuff to stick. And it made us laugh at something that was a, it was a, Touch of Class was a big hit when we were kids. Nominated yeah. for Best Picture. Nominated for Best Picture. I think it was nominated one for- best, One Best Actress. Nominated for five Oscars. Yeah. Big hit. Yeah. It, but at the end of the day, you know, it's just a nice boulevard comedy. Right. And it's George Segal and Glenna Jackson, and no human being has watched it since 1975. <laughs> and so for us, it was perfect. And, it, and we wanted a movie that really represented white show business because a lot of the movie was about segregation in Hollywood. Right. And I'm not and, sure white show business. We wanted a movie that represented, like, just mainstream movies. And a movie right. that would and, not speak to Rudy and his friends. Right. And, and this, is, this is the ultimate. Right. Nothing in this film speaks to these guys. Right. Yeah. And that, it just, it made us laugh so much. And we were watching clips from Touch of Class and watching the, oh, my God, the trailer is excruciating. Yeah. And uh, so we went to do the movie, and then it was hard to clear it. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sort of gilding the lily, but I, I like to say that, um, the problem was that it was actually paid for by a shampoo company, Brute, Brute Productions, George Berry, who ran a hair company in the seventies, got into films. And, um, if I'm being cheesy, I'd say that the rights have gotten very tangled <laughs> <laughs> and it, clearing it became difficult. You need some cream rinse. Really. Yeah. <laughs> cream and, rinse. And so it became a last minute scramble, which was guys, you can't have touch a class. Uh, we've knocked on some doors and universal is being totally cooperative. You can have anything from their library, yeah. which is really nice of universal. Yeah. God bless them. And, and we actually looked at uh, what was the big, their big Christmas release. So we sort of ran like 73 through 74. sort of like, the, that's our general area. Right. right. What felt good. And it was sort of like, Oh boy. Oh boy, front page. That 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 sounds right. It it, it yeah. we wanted a, actually a Christmas title. That was a Christmas title, and that movie, Billy Wilder's made a lot of great movies. It's not one of them. Yeah. But it's also it's a really white movie. And it's so it's a big movie, and it's uh you know it's 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 while it's not one of Billy Wilder's best, the title is a bit of beloved, you know, and it's one of right. those things where we're not really coming out of going out of a way to say. You know, front page is terrible, or we're not, we're like when we're coming out of, you know, we're saying a touch of classes, unwatchable. Or something else. But what we wanted is that, and I think it's extraordinarily powerful in the film, is that you they go see this movie, yeah. you cut to it on screen, and you do a pan across the audience, and you land on Rudy and his friends, and I mean, it's powerful because all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, you know, there are there are decades and decades and decades of films. That were not made for this audience, yeah. And these guys don't get it, and 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 it, it's Hollywood is not speaking to them, uh, and so that's when Rudy Hollywood is indifferent. Yes, and so when Rudy looks up in that light and says, "Wait a second, we got to make our own movies." It's uh, I, I think it's one of the best scenes in the film. No, I, yeah, we, I love it. A little grief from some people saying that there's a, there's a big cheat because the audience is laughing. <laughs> I think that or, I love the idea that they're laughing and yeah, that yeah. they're all saying this isn't funny. There's right, no yeah, yeah, yeah. kung fu or anything. No, that's, someone, like, that's, that's more of a Twitter <laughs> thing. Like that, I defy you to find um, someone who laughed at that movie in 1974. I um, like the idea too that I thought it would have been a movie that probably played at Radio City. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, totally. totally. You know that would have been yeah. a big. It was, actually, it was a big title. Yeah. It, was, it was actually a hit. Whatever. Yeah, it's a map though. Yeah, I, well, I, I like it. I approve. And what's super crazy about that scene is... Uh, this, is a, this is for the nerds. Is that the, part of that scene is uh, it cuts to uh, Susan Sarandon playing an, an organ and oh. singing with a theater. Yes. Button up your overcoat. Uh, I it, got it. I got that. It turned out that was shot at the Orpheum Theater, <sighs> which is where we shot this scene. So literally, and we didn't know that until we actually got there. We were, we're on the we're, set. We're, we're and, we're, and we're looking at the Susan Sarandon clip and we're going... Wait a minute. That's here. It's like, look at it's the balcony right right next to us. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, a Russian doll box. It kind of you know. It's like well, there? I love things like that. Of of course, you know, whenever a director puts a 
movie on a marquee or yeah or for instance you know like in cape fear we we always yes. our go-to reference problem child, problem child. Problem child. Problem child. Well, when when he's i mean there's something just inherently <laughs> max funny that home. max katie is laughing maniacally i once asked you about this how, how that ended up in the yeah you told me it came down a problem child and shakes the clown those were the Two finalists. <laughs> but, but Marty, actually, he loved the line when he said, my son is the devil. Yeah. He, he used to quote we, that line We hit up Marty. We were at, at for um, uh, OJ. He deni- and he denied he, it. He denied everything. He, uh, it was, uh, it was yes. yes. No, it was, at, at we OJ, wanted... OJ was named by AFI, like one of the best TV shows of the year. The same year he was doing Silence. We so wanted every, an answer. And we were at a table here, and there was yeah. Marty at the other table. This means something because you actually know him. But, there, but one thing, of all the people, we've met just about everybody in Hollywood. Yeah. We, I mean, and whatever. We, it, but Marty's never, we've never done it. We met Billy Wilder. Yes, we did. Um, wow. <laughs> before we, we stabbed him in the back. Yeah. Um, and we're like, there was two seconds, the clouds parted, and Scorsese was right there. We went over, two seconds uh, when the other, bodyguards yeah, were distracted. Stop, let's go, let's yeah. go, let's go. And so we're like, hey, hey, we, we did the OJ movie. So we, blah, 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 we, 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 we bum rushed him. We bum rushed him. Like, you know what? Uh, you know, you made Cape Fear, and you know, our first film, our first film was Problem Child, and, and you know, it's Max Cage laughing at him. We and it was a big deal to us when yeah. we went and saw Cape yeah. Fear, and it's yeah. like, and they're like, full frame, it becomes Problem Child. This movie just stops. It's like, we've always wanted to know it's like it really means a lot to us like why did you put it in there and he says he says I think it was Wesley Strick it might have been Wesley Strick I don't know and we know Wesley and we asked Wesley he said no it wasn't my idea (laughs) he must have forgotten that's terrible deny deny that's funny no one will take credit ever for problem child (laughs) no one one even with a clip reuse yeah no one will be like that wasn't me that wasn't me the uh, no, I remember it very I mean, much. It was Universal again. It was probably the Universal main Cape Fear. Like, look, yeah. th- this you is cheap. At, you can a, use it. There was the head of post. Yeah. No, he looked at the Universal titles. I was there, so he looked mm. at the Universal titles and he said, "Oh, it has to be Problem Child." There you go. We're good. Well, anyway. Beetle, Beetle, that's one of our. That was a treat. That was gigantic for us. It was. Spe- it was very specific. You know, because we I, were very not respected before Ed Wood, and so the only thing that made us remotely respected was like, "Hey, yeah, Scorsese paid well, homage it, well, to us." Well, it actually made sense, <laughs> and that was a film that the family would go to, and Max Katie would go to, but they're going for different reasons. Yes, right. I love the, but it's the, the family's going for John Ritter. Max Katie's going for Junior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like the. I think that Marty's comment was, you know, he may be this horrible person, but yet he could laugh and, a, yeah. and a, he could be entertained, just like the rest of us. <laughs> I like when you see the scene now. The the takeaway is like, you can smoke cigars in theaters. <laughs> what the fuck? He's just sitting there smoking. It's not that he's laughing. It's not that he's terrorizing these people. He's smoking a cigar. Um. Okay. Back to right. Dolomite. What is? Have we started? <laughs> this is I all rehearsal. Leona Douglas and our show. This is all rehearsal. Okay. Um. When so when you met when you talked to Eddie about mm-hmm. doing the story. Yeah. What? Because I I feel like in all of your movies there has to be some inherent you know we've got to be rooting for this person they're on, or on the, they're on the fringes of society. Yeah. Was it? Did you get it immediately and say, oh okay, this is this is perfect for our wheelhouse? No. Or? Uh, what we did get though, Eddie, 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 it was Eddie as Rudy. We were being hypnotized by star power. Of yeah. course, yeah. and I would be and. Eddie sort of was firmly ensconced in family film land back then. Mm-hmm. And the idea that he sort of wanted to go do this crazy R-rated thing with us, playing this, you know, this legendary black comic just seemed so special. Uh, and, and we actually, we, we broke our, our number one golden rule, which our agent had hammered into our heads a hundred years ago, which was never write for a star. Because you'll just end up in a slush pile. Mm-hmm. The star will get distracted, go off and make two other films, the rights will change, someone will get fired, and the movie will never get made. And But we were so excited by Eddie as Rudy that we eagerly pursued it, and Eddie got us into a room with Rudy. Yeah, and I think that's where, that's where meeting the real Rudy more, that's where the idea of the film came. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the... Because Rudy only existed as the on-screen persona. Yeah, as Dolman. I mean... Very, very few people had ever seen Rudy the man carry on a conversation off camera. Mm-hmm. And when we met Rudy, he came in the door as the pimp with with the shoes that you can look down and see your face reflected in them mm-hmm. and the cane and the hat. But then he quickly dropped the act because we spent the day with him. And, yeah. and he was just a tired old guy 
and being a comedian is is rough sledding you're on the road you know 300 nights a year he's carrying that merch table around in his car Absolutely. all the time and he's just a tired soft-spoken man and it was like wow this is not dolomite yeah rudy is a dolomite is a creation and that really struck us so i mean that ended up being the movie we wrote you know 15 years later yeah it's and about that's two actually, people. yeah, and actually that's why it's called Dolomite is my name. I mean, that's 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 part of Rudy's catchphrase. It was the idea of Dolomite is a persona that he adapted. And in the movie, it's you know the, this they you know it's depicted that this kind of bomb you know this bum comes yeah. in espousing sort of poetry. Rudy tells the story. And is that where Do, like what does that what is that name Dolomite? Uh, I think me, it was just a, just it's just <laughs> you know it's probably didn't Rudy say it was a vitamin. Like when he was a kid, there were dolomite vitamins. Maybe, and there's also the mountains. I mean, I just think it's a, like some, it's like a mineral. Like vitamin, you know, vitamin sort of, uh, management. There you yes, go. Exactly. 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 <laughs> um, Take it for pep. Yeah, it's just I think it was you know the these African American toasts were something that were just passed down from generation to generation. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there's a great book called I think, "Get Your Ass in the Water and Swim Like Me," which is basically the history of these toasts. And mm -hmm. so it isn't like those 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 hobos invented these stories. These hobos were uh, taking these stories and making them their own, which is what Rudy ends up doing himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, er everyone would add a few new jokes, give it a bit of a spin. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of the party, right? And then he makes his... Yes. Uh, and then um, you had said when you uh, introduced the film a few weeks ago that uh, Eddie Murphy said that he was a, a loser who refused to lose. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I, I that's think, how he described uh, Rudy. I think that's one of the great, yeah. greatest... <laughs> Quotes for a performance. Yeah, it, it. I think that that's why I love his performance so much in the movie because you are, you know, he he can't get a break, but he yeah. never. Yeah, he's I never mean, defeated. It, I mean, we we sort of realized after we had made the movie that the movie is just two hours of people saying no. <laughs> and 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 the Rudy. I mean, people have sort of said the movie is about black entre entrepreneurship, which didn't occur to us. But Rudy has to keep hiring himself. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. no one will give him a job. Yeah. And so he has to, you know, record his own album, his own apartment, then go pay for the pressing, and then go sell it out of his car trunk, and then go carry that friggin' merch table around on the Chitlin circuit. Yeah. You know, when he wants to start a movie, he then has to go pay for the movie. Yeah. You know, so, so he, it was all self-driven. Yeah, no, the big surprise for us making the movie, I mean, we were making the movie, it was like Scott, me, Eddie, and Craig... Uh, the director, Craig Brewer. Craig Brewer. I mean, we were making a movie really to please ourselves. It was, it was something we thought it was probably like our most fringe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the and fact that's saying that, a lot. And that's saying a lot, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but the fact that it connects on as an inspirational film, mm -hmm. uh, I think it wasn't until the first couple of test screens we were like, well, wait a second, wait a second. You know, we were getting cards back and people were comparing the movie to Rocky. And we're like, God, I don't think I don't know if we really, you know, thought that was going to happen. We knew that was it was always about whatever. There's tons of lines in the movie that reflect this. You know, man slams the door in my face. I find another door. You yeah. know, that, that was always the key to Rudy Ray Moore. He was never going to give up. But we didn't know that people would look at Rudy Ray Moore and say, Oh my God, that's something. That's an inspirational story. We, and like we, we, didn't, we didn't think people would, would watch the movie. Yeah, and then then say, Well, that could be me. Right. Well, if Rudy could do this with himself, then I can I can go do something with myself. Right. And the best review we got was uh, from Time Magazine, which the first two paragraphs were all about like you watch this movie and you want to go create your own art, and the idea that 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 people were taking that from from our film made us very very happy. Yeah, I agree. I think it has a it, it's very reflective again of of a film like Ed Wood, which is again everybody has a dream. But the difference between Ed Wood and, and Rudy is Rudy actually has an audience for his work. Where Ed Wood is, at the end of the day, was still making, you know, kind of crappy movies. And that we, we had to invent a fake ending where he has a premiere at the Pan Pages. And in a sense, that's a fever dream inside of Ed Wood's own mind. <laughs> right. Where Rudy was, was actually Successful, connecting with yeah. people. Like, he was giving a product that people actually wanted. And so there's that beautiful moment where he's watching the audience. And uh, it's, the, it's the rhyming scene with the, with the front page scene where he's in the Indianapolis Theater for the Midnight Show where he forewalled. And he sees his audience reacting. Yeah. And it's like it's like all of a sudden, oh my god, they, they are they're having a great time. They are they get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and even the end of the film, which that which is actually another true story, which is that you know when uh, when Rudy premiered the movie in Chicago, the Woods Theater uh, you know added these two a.m. shows because they were selling out, and Rudy felt bad for the audiences who had to stay out in the in the in the sidewalk until two a.m. So he actually went out there and performed <laughs> until two a.m. You know because he just like he he wanted he wanted to please the audience. 
Yeah. But uh, anyone, please, it was all about his audience because, yeah. I mean, even though Dolomite and Human Tornado were, I mean, they were box office smashes. I mean, to make $10 million on a budget of 60 grand in 1975 mm -hmm. is a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Uh, even though they were giant hits, Rudy did not get swallowed up or co-opted by the business. Right. And you can just you go look up Rudy on IMDb and you're looking for the other credits for the movies that weren't produced by Rudy. He worked maybe three or four days on Monkey Hustle for and AIP. That's a, and that's about it. That is it. Yeah. And, and, and it's just... I'm like I'm I'm just like as a guy who works in showbiz I'm I'm just putting on my own hat going well yeah. if if I were at a studio back in 1976 why wasn't I hiring Rudy why yeah. why wasn't he showing up in a, in a lot of movies because he clearly had an audience well what's it's interesting true. it's weird yeah. but it's strange enough that is I think what's made him last uh, uh, over time because um, he is so singular and that I think if he would have been if he would have caught on with studios or they he got cast in something else. The rough edges would have been exactly. shaved off, and all of a sudden he would have become this kind. Of, it actually happens a little bit in Monkey Hustle, where he's just he's just a, he's just a, he's an actor for hire. Yeah. He's, you know, it's it's extreme, but, it, uh, but he, um, he could have been the uncle on What's Happening. Sure, but because he wasn't, he's Rudy Ray Moore, and it's just a pure Rudy Ray Moore vision. And yes. so over time, I mean, even you know, even though the movie was a hit. It was still like, you know, we even have the scene in where he goes to American International and they turn him down. Rudy still was not even accepted in even black exploitation circles. Mm -hmm. And so, but when you talk about black exploitation now, you talk about Shaft, Superfly, maybe the Mac, and Dolomite. Mm -hmm. Where, like, it's I like. Think the it's, Mac might have fallen off the radar. Maybe. And it's one of those things where, like, before it was like Fred Williamson and all these other, you know, Rudy has definitely risen because you can still watch them today and you say holy shit what the what is this yeah you know? the uh, I, so i want to talk about the casting cuz okay. i i think another great element of the film is all the amazing performances and as soon as it i was watching it it kicks in immediately for me almost with craig robinson and i said oh this yeah. is going to be i can uh, yeah. i can just immediately tell this is going to be good it's the the tone of it right. because you're doing a, a black exploitation film but you're not you know and how you balance that with the casting yeah. and making sure and but, but these, again these, keegan michael key but, is but, but, but none of these characters are are tip are black exploitation kind of characters you know craig's a struggling singer right mm -hmm. i mean keegan well, is mike, a... mike 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 epps is another struggling comic yeah. keegan is a struggling playwright so yeah, black exploitation are tend to be more hard-edged but they're yeah. then called upon to do scenes sure, from sure, sure. the yes, movie. Sure. For um, another yes. example is the guy cast as the bad. He because I always play the bad. Oh, that guy's white great. Guy. Oh, that, that guy so funny. is so great. Uh, we actually we, we 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 sort of when we hear great stories told to us, we just like to file them away and then pull them out. That story was taken <laughs> from uh, an old drinking buddy of Ed Woods named right. David Ward, mm -hmm. and David uh, was an extra in our movie Ed Wood so this is back in 1993 we're hanging out with David Ward on the set mm -hmm. so this is a long time ago and and it was always a bit of like well how do you make a living what do you what do you exactly do David and he says well I'm the bad guy around town <laughs> at Black Theater yeah and he proceeded it's the and it's the speech yeah uh, 25 years later it's the speech we put in Dolmai which is you know at the Ebony Showcase I was the plantation owner and he just <laughs> is giving him us his credits he's the guy who says get in the cell you know <laughs> and, and black and black shows and we and, and David was, wasn't a very good actor he's terrible but he wasn't even a good extra. That's a, that's, <laughs> that, extra. that's the thing. You know, he his goal in life was to be in the extras guild, and he never a got there. a union extra. Because because if, you, if there's a big crowd scene, the people in the first like ten rows they get a hot lunch, mm -hmm. and then the people in the higher bleachers they just yeah. get a sack with an apple, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and a sandwich wrapped in cellophane. And David was always in the upper bleachers. <laughs> now we're not the only ones who are obsessed with them. There's another screenwriter named Lem Dobbs. Uh huh. Who wrote an entire uh, feature? Never yeah. got made, but for a long time it was like an unproduced project that everyone always would talk about, called Ed, Edward Ford or something yeah, like Edward that. Yeah, Edward Ford. It was a fictional version of David Ward's life. Well, there's so many, yeah. Extras. But, but, but that uh, that Warden actor in our movie, God, did he nail that scene? Yeah, he did. Well, that's and defines face yeah. when he's reciting his credits, and she's just 
this look of astonishment, and then like, well, you, you figure out where you fit in. Yeah. Though I love it. Like, just, well, yeah, at one point cool. she just just a little bit of this. She just pulls away just a little <laughs> bit. It's fantastic. <laughs> the uh, so the at, was the atmosphere on the set. I'm imagining like people holding back laughter. It or? was the most joyous experience it was a party. you could possibly imagine. It was the only movie we ever worked on where people would come even when they weren't working. Yeah. Because it'd be like, oh, tomorrow's Chris Rock and Eddie. Like, why would you not come that day? You know what I right. mean? So every day was that, though. It's like, oh, yes. we're going to do this. And so uh, it became this thing where just people – and Craig Brewer is just such a, a beautiful director and a loving man and this sort of – like, everyone felt welcome. And so there was a sense on the set of, like, you, we all knew we were making something special and and people just wanted to be around. And it was uh, it was really – every day you're like, oh, Either you're holding back laughter, or you can't believe what you're watching. I can't. I mean, you can actually tell. Like sometimes in the film, I'm thinking, did they cut like right before everybody? That's fine. In particular, in the when they're filming the sex scene, it just literally feels like I could feel people <laughs> laughing. Well, they're actually supposed to be laughing off, off camera. camera. Yeah. That that was a that was a closed set because yeah. it had nudity, and I, I said, I don't care if it's closed. I'm <laughs> I'm going in because I'm not yeah. missing this one. <laughs> This is too good. Do you remember how many takes you had to do of that, or I think I would, only one or two takes. I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to re retain the insane flavor, comic. Yeah, I think just a couple of takes. Yeah, flavor of that. We did a, a screening the other night where Mel Brooks introduced the movie, which is really, really special to wow. us. I mean, we were friends with Mel, and he he loves the Dolomite movie. But then after the screening, he went home and uh, he went over to Carl Reiner's house to. Uh, say how to call the day spin and apparently as they walked in uh, the person with Mel took a picture and as they walked in Carl was actually watching Dolomite on TV but it was a sex scene so uh, I have I have a great picture of the back of Carl Reiner's head and our sex scene on the TV so, oh my God. I don't think I can post it but I can I can describe it <laughs> I'm visual a moment yes. for visualization okay. Uh, the director, Craig Brewer, did Hustle and Flow, yes. which is a, a movie that has a lot of music in it. Another thing, that the, the movie at times, for me, is almost a musical. It is a musical. Well, I, I mean, our, our secret is that we, we tend to make our biopics very autobiographical. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Craig sort of stole our act because he <laughs> says, Dolmite is my name is really about his own story. <laughs> you know, it even though we wrote the script before he was hired, yeah. you know, but you know, with Hustle and Flow and Dolmite, you know, Craig really identifies and just in terms of he was just like a scrappy guy in Memphis who wanted to break into the business and he was just, you know, shooting movies on home video cameras, mm -hmm. right? getting his friends to come over on a Saturday and hold a boom mic. Yeah. I mean, he, he really respected Rudy as a guerrilla filmmaker. You know, yeah. uh, um, and so and and the musicality is he really brought that musicality, which is there 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 are so many complicated musical pieces in this movie that all blend together. Where it's just like you know a, a scene will start and you'll think you're hearing score, but then another scene will come up next, and actually you've been listening to what was sourced at a different scene, and right. it's uh, he did an amazing job. I mean, uh, a, a scene that Craig was only able to pull off just because he had Eddie and Craig Robinson. Uh, it, uh, I mean, I was, an, I was the idiot advocating to hire Craig Robinson, completely unaware that Craig could play piano and that Craig could sing. I just thought Craig would be a good Ben. Yeah. I, I was just a total stupid person. And uh, there's the scene in the club where Eddie starts doing one of the routines. And, and the, whole, the whole movie is about how Rudy was the first guy to kind of put a rhythm mm -hmm. under these rhyming right. jokes. And then Craig see. came out on stage I think this was like while they were just setting up a shot and started sort of like hitting chords. And Craig Brewer realized, oh my God, we've got something here. Yeah. And said, well, to Craig, do you, do you just want to, do you want to go for it? And then we can actually run multiple cameras wow. and, and do it all in one. Right. Because yeah. usually something like that would be pre recorded because right. you're doing yeah. multiple takes and there's got, you got the, the bongos. The fact and that you've, got... you've actually got a, a, an actor who is talented enough as a, as a pianist. Then yes. he can just start riffing, responding to Eddie's rhythms, mm -hmm. all in one. Right. So, so we got that. We got that magical scene. Yeah, and I do think that's a magical scene. I, I get chills when I watch that scene, particularly the moment when Rudy, you know, uh, turns to the drummer and says, "Don't give me that Buddy Hackett Buddy. shit. You know, put your weight on it." Yeah. And then he just starts doing the rhythm, and then Eddie turns around and then instantly gets into the rhythm, and and it's one of those things where you know you really feel like, wait a second, this is the birth of hip hop. 
Yes. You know, it's, and, and the way it ends, too, is yeah. that you see a transformation in his face. Yes. Like he knows he's yeah. he's on to something. Yeah, you really feel like a lot of times that eureka moment in a movie feels false. Right. This eureka moment says, like, wait a second, wow. Yeah. You know? We always joke about it. Well, it, it just, it, you're watching it happen organically. Yeah. You see, you're... It's restrained, you know. You 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 trusting that Eddie Murphy has it on his face and yeah. in his eyes. Yeah. And I think that's what's enjoyable. We always talk about the extras in that scene were the luckiest extras of all time oh, because yeah. they were being they were literally being paid to watch Eddie perform stand up uh, and, and for the first time in fifty in forty years. You know, I felt that way every uh, you know time I saw. It. I'm a you know I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan, and I was in a movie with him, not one of his better films. Which one uh, Pluto Nash. Pluto Nash. That, oh. oh. Not one that comes to yeah, the top. He talks about it. And he likes about to it. talk about it because he says that's the reason we couldn't make this movie in 2003. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I was coming off Pluto Nash, and you know, people I come in with this dolomite idea, and they're like, oh, what the hell are you wanting to do? I know. Yeah. We all ju I jumped up. I was like, I don't even need to. Re I just wanted to be, you know, yeah. hang out with him for a couple of days. So I wanted to ask you what was, I mean, you what surprised you about working with Eddie Murphy? Uh, I mean, when, when we were writing it, I mean, once we're left to our devices, we don't really talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, once we've been commenced and we're doing our research and we have our own process. And we, we talked to John Davis a few times who's done 100 movies with Eddie. And he said, Eddie says, don't expect him to fill it in for you. Don't expect ad-libbing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you guys just need to deliver what he's going to do in the film. We're like, wow, really? Because... Who, who knows? Yeah, right. you, it's like a lot of a lot of movie comedies now are like, let's do twenty takes, and you just be crazy. This time you do it in a Chinese accent, you know, and, yeah. and that's that was and, not the kind of thing. And I so that, that do. I mean, they, they turned up the pressure a little. I mean, we were fine with it. Uh, and and to Eddie's credit, he he basically just followed the script, but then he would whatever because he's a comedy genius. Yes. He would occasionally find those little extra pieces. Uh, so like when when he's with Lunell, his auntie in the movie, right, and she's says have you been back home and i think our line was just like no i haven't or something and he added oh when i think of back home what i think is fuck back home <laughs> that's my favorite thing which is such a good line yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny I re i'm from south Bend, indiana and i love south Bend, indiana i have a great time but i couldn't resist this i was just back recently and, and scott texted me how's things going and i said you know what i think about back home <laughs> I said, dot, dot, dot. I didn't have to <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say my my thing that surprised me more about Eddie is um, uh, we've worked with gigantic comedians before, mm -hmm. and most gigantic comedians when they're well, making Gilbert Godfrey forgot repeatedly, they want it to be all about them, uh -huh. and they want it to be all you know. If, if there's something funny in the scene, it's got to be from them. It got to right. belong to them. And I've, I don't think we've ever worked with a more giving actor. Eddie was so generous. Eddie. You see those scenes. That's one of the reasons why Divine pops the way she does. Yes. He gives her that scene. I mean, he gives her her space. She takes it, but it's like that's such a beautiful thing. Those scenes with the, with Keegan, the scenes with almost every, all the all the act, you know, Leslie. The scene like with the with the the opening scene with the with the four guys all at, in the diner. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it, it's four equals at the table. Yeah. It, it, it's not Eddie plus his three sidekicks. Yeah. And so that, that that was a surprise to me because uh, being one of the biggest movie stars of all time and even beyond movie stars, I mean, he's, he's, he's Elvis, for, for yeah. crying out loud. Um, I was expecting, you know, a little bit more of, like, the legend there. And then when he came to work with these actors, he really worked with these actors. Yeah, I think so. I, I felt that way, too. It also, in his scenes with Wesley Snipes, he just gave him a lot of room. Yeah, Wesley, and Wesley, you know, Wesley took every inch too. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> with, but like, like the scene with with him and Keegan arguing with Wesley, it's yeah. it's not like it's not Eddie's scene at all. It's yeah. it's it's three guys in a circular argument. Right. I I think that's one of the things I enjoyed most was mm -hmm. watching him react as yeah. opposed to always, you know. Him, him being driving the scene. Yeah. There were many times where he was reacting, and like you know, him watching uh, Queen Bee get get hit and yeah. things uh, that I thought were very different than other film performances of his. Okay. Yeah. You know, I really, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed that. Did you have a favorite day of uh, shooting? Aside from the sex scene. <laughs> um, shooting the closing shot was really. Joyful, and this is a total Craig Brewer thing. In, the, in that, like Larry was saying, Craig is very welcoming, mm -hmm. 
and the closing shot was it's a, whatever it's a, it's, a, it's a little corny but we liked it yeah. you know in the script which is you know Rudy does that final thing cling to a star and mm-hmm. And the crowd's happy, and then the and I mean, the, we rarely call out camera shots, but we did call out camera cranes up to the marquee, and above the marquee is Rudy with his fist out, mm-hmm. and that was our closing image. And Craig brought in a piece of music, and it was just it was it was so much fun, and it was a really hard shot because whatever you you've been on a hundred sets, and it's like tracking with Eddie through a lot of extras, yeah. and there was a lot of just commotion and people tripping over cables and all that stuff and then and then the camera had to crane up at just the right moment and then you know it's like you want to finish the line and then you want to pass the marquee and it all has to be uh, interconnected and then we did a take and then Craig said okay let's see if it works now and then he had a boom box and then he did playback and he said come on everyone and every I think Eddie too like everyone like we all run around to the monitor and then we watch Eddie's closing monologue and then at the moment Craig like hits play on the boom box and then so we actually get to experience the crane shot with the swell of music live on the sidewalk yeah and it was so thrilling and we're all just we all had big smiles on our faces and then Craig's like yeah but the timing doesn't work all right let's go again you know (laughs) and and I I think I think there were nine or ten takes to get it right and then after every take it it would be like all right all right gather around put on the music and then there was this it was really, it was really special. It was fun. I'll also say that the same night because we had hundreds of extras. Oh, so many! Mm-hmm. And so hundreds of extras in Ruth Carter's costumes, and it's Great like, costumes, oh by my the god, way. she's a genius. And uh, you know, I have to really, you know, it's funny we're actually talking a lot about extras here on the, on the show, <laughs> but um, I, our extras really looked. Like real people, and they yeah. were, didn't seem like just like go put on some yes. but go put on some Great. platform shoes and be crazy. And uh, I, I really give her all the credit in the world because it's so easy to make a lot of afros. Yeah, it's so easy to make the hair, the seventies thing a cartoon, mm. and yes. particularly as outrageous as Rudy's costumes are, they're never you never feel like he's not wearing them. You know what I mean? He, they feel like they belong on him. And so I, I, I see some 70s movies. I see those. Particularly, you sometimes the main people are fine, but then you go to the club or whatever yeah. and you see a bunch of people like, they're hippies. Or they're like, oh, they're wearing a, you know, yeah. the fringe jacket. And it feels very fraudulent. And, yes. and I don't think that happens. Yeah, I actually, uh, we were in the Orpheum Theater and we spent a lot of time there. And I found myself just hanging out in the extras holding pen because it was just like I was being teleported back to my childhood. It was like I was back in the 70s and yeah. I'm just surrounded in, in this world of 1975 that's great the uh uh was there anyone in the movie that had actually worked with rudy ray moore i mean aside uh, from lunell yeah Lunell. she toured with him oh yeah. wow yeah uh she's so funny she's just a funny human being uh and you know uh the, the real nick von sternberg came down to the set the, the young the, you the, know, DP. Some of the dp oh really yeah he oh. came he came down and watched the uh the the the, the karate scene outside where, uh, where you know Rudy's being arrested by the uh, you know Dolomite's being arrested by the cops and he kicks the kid the guy into the trunk which when it was that, that was actually at the location that's the actual location that they shot the original the thing house. so for Nick von Sternberg his like his brain melted that's but amazing I can't think of any other performers no yeah I don't think so it's another movie too that makes you want to go back and actually look at if you're not if you're not a you know yeah. aware of the actual Dolomite movies, it's fun to watch them side by side. Have you done any screenings of? Uh, well, film in there? Quentin did uh, the the did a whole week of <laughs> oh, of our movie, then Dolomite, or our movie, and and Human Tornado, our movie, and um, and just, yeah, and thirty five. <laughs> the um, what's different though, what's really strange though, is that is that uh, I watched a little bit of the original Dolomite not that long ago, and uh, it was after after having seen our film. Yeah. And it definitely, you know, you take it a lot more seriously, and I think that that that, that yes. changes things. I remember it happened on Ed Wood, mm-hmm. where you know it was very easy to watch something like Glenn or Glenda, uh, and giggle like, oh, isn't this funny? What a, what a, you know, this is really a terrible movie, blah blah blah. But after Ed Wood, and you realized. That it was this guy putting his personal story on the movie. Right. Now, when you see Ed Wood, when you see Glenn or Glenda, it feels like just really intense personal filmmaking. It mm-hmm. feels avant-garde and like you know he's really a guy putting his soul on film. And so 
watching. I didn't watch the whole thing because it uh, it's it was running streaming free on some place, and I was watching the first five ten minutes of it because uh, <laughs> you didn't want to pay. And um, <laughs> and I was I was like shocked how much I was just like well, well I got involved in a way that I, I necessarily yes had before. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I was going to ask is what, one of the things I've been talking about this year a lot is that a lot of the movies I felt are just too long, mm-hmm. and I it's another thing I loved about Dolomite is it it ended it there was tremendous momentum and then it ended yeah. and I didn't want it to end I was sad when it ended and in, in, Craig, in the cutting room Craig did a lot of lifts yeah he did it was probably what another half hour maybe from the first assembly he did a great job of putting it all together also what's nice about the I, I think it's more than just the length that our movie just doesn't behave like a regular movie there's no there's no bad guy. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no crazy horrible thing that happened. I mean, the climax of our movie is uh, seven people in the back of a, back of a limo reading bad reviews. You know, <laughs> they're not racing. They cut the bomb wires. They're not doing anything. They're reading bad reviews and feeling shitty about the movie they made. And then they get to the theater and, and people wouldn't saw it. So it's like it. It isn't full of that that stuff that's usually in a movie. That kind of, in all fairness, it's it's a little annoying these but, days. But when you, when you talk about the length, this is this is just a, a good in the weeds film story. Is uh, when, we, when we had the test screenings, uh, you know that, that guy at the front always asked that question: Who thinks this movie moves too fast? Oh, Who thinks it moves too slow? You know, and then oh, eight hands went up. Did you think it moved too slow in the beginning, in the middle? You know, it's it, it, it's leading the witness. Right. Yeah, everyone's going to say, yeah, it's probably too long, <laughs> and, and it's always like somewhere in the middle, it's too long, <laughs> and uh, and then you know, then that always creates panic, and we all you know run back to some uh, some weird fluorescent lit room behind the projection booth <laughs> right. at, at the arc light. And then you know, spread out the cards, and everyone starts sweating and freaking out. And it's like, oh shit, the movie's two hours and one minute. Oh my god, we have got to knock a reel out and all that stuff. And a reel. Oh, I'm I'm aging myself. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have reels anymore, folks. <laughs> uh, a hard drive. Yeah, yeah. And, and and then you know, you're always looking for clean lifts. Mm-hmm. And the movie had one clean lift at that point, which was Eddie's monologue, where he's talking into the mirror before they, the, they before the shooting. first night yeah. of shooting. And it was a clean lift. And yeah, in some of the focus group uh, conversations, it was, was there any scene that seemed a little slow? Oh, that scene where he's just by himself. And we had these intense arguments about it. And I, I, I got really angry. I said, you need it to ground the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie can't just be too frothy. Right. And, and I don't care if it's slow. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And, uh, that scene. I don't care if that scene's too slow. And we went back and forth and it was sort of like, what the hell? We this is why we have test screenings. Let's have a screen without the scene. See how the movie plays. Mm-hmm. And of course, the movie plays fine because you don't miss it if you don't know you're supposed to miss it. But Eddie's numbers actually went down. I mean, just by like this. By that, a little bit. No, yeah. But people did not love Rudy as much as they had with the monologue because mm-hmm. the monologue it gave him more of a history and it gave him gravitas. He saw his pain. Yeah, yeah, you you feel something for him, and it was it was one of those interesting lessons, which is like, all right, the movie can be whatever. I forget what the movie is now. Like, it, it can be an hour fifty six without the monologue, or an hour fifty eight with it. It's like, right. well, of course it should have it. <laughs> yeah. I want to follow up with that, if I may. I'm such a fan of you guys, and you know, you found such profound work based on artists who are making non profound work. Okay. Like, what kind of conversations are you guys having while you write to make sure? Like tone, you're writing a movie about a tonally confused film, but you guys have to write an earnest, you know, what kind of conversations are you having around that? I don't think we actually have conversations about it anymore because it's just, it's, it's <laughs> natural. We and, have our tone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have our tone. And um, I think we only are, are making movies about people we have a great deal of affection for. Mm. And so I think the, our affection for these characters comes through to them. And we're not laughing at them at any point. You know, uh, and so actually, when we're cutting things down, it's like we're looking for that kind of stuff in terms of, you know, you you are you are on the journey with these people, um, and uh, I think that's where it comes from. Is that mm. there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's I think there's a lot of love in in, in, in Dolomite. It just feel you can feel it. Yeah, I, I think there's an interesting moment you mentioned in the mirror scene. You know, again, my perception from the audience is actually a weird moment where you, where Eddie Murphy, 
then blends with the character he's playing. I have, whenever I see an actor mm-hmm. look in a mirror, mm-hmm. you know, if it's Lawrence Olivier and the Entertainer, yeah. you know what I mean? There's <laughs> a, for me, I'm like, okay, that's they're looking in the mirror. Are they looking at Eddie Murphy or are they looking at Rudy Ray Moore? So I always like scenes like that, and that for me had that slightly chilling effect of am I seeing now Eddie Murphy and you know whether that's valid or not I think it is valid because uh, I think uh, one of the surprises we I think we had when we were first envisioning this movie because Eddie's so great uh, you know like a nutty professor putting on the makeup and becoming a character where he actually he is doing Rudy Ray Moore in our movie but it's not a full-on, blown-up imitation of Rudy Ray Moore. He, he could have done a more. He, he could have done the voice if he'd wanted to. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, I think we were very happy that he chose to do something in between. It's not Eddie Murphy. He's being funny in a different way. He's not using those Eddie Murphy tricks like that laugh and things like this. Yeah. But it's not. You know, there's still a touch of Eddie Murphy in there. So you're feeling like you're really seeing a real person. It feels like a personal statement as opposed to a cartoon. And and that that moment was. Uh, very revealing for Eddie to play as an actor, and I'm not sure he's done something like that before. Mm-hmm. And so that scene got pushed. It was the last shot Eddie ever did yeah. on the movie. Yeah. It was the last shot of the last night. I think night. it's a very hard thing for an entertainer to look in a mirror and look at themselves. Mm-hmm. It's always very uh, scary, mm-hmm. e- even as an audience person. I'm, I'm like afraid. What are well, they going to see when they look? Writers don't like to look in the mirror either. <laughs> Trust me. Writers don't want to look in the mirror. Or the clock. <laughs> they don't like what they see. Well, anyway, you know how much... I'm not going to bother you guys anymore. All but right. uh, Do you have any Christmas movies to recommend? Favorite holiday movies at uh, all? This uh, is our Christmas episode. Uh, so. Oh, Any uh, obscure Christmas movies? I love The Silent Partner. Mm. Oh, that's the second time that one came up. What? Yeah. I think Dan Waters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he's... Alonzo mentioned it. Yeah. Who, who did? Oh, we, uh, Alonzo Durante. Geralde, yeah. yeah. Geralde, yeah. The Christmas yeah. film critic. We did a show with him last week recommending for our listeners some other my act. Uh-oh. I love that movie. And uh, we, we had the pleasure of hanging out with Curtis Hansen for a period of time. And we tried to do something with Curtis. And I was endlessly nagged. Curtis wrote this wonderful Canadian tax shelter thriller in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And I was always just bugging him with just film geek questions about the shooting of Silent Partner and we we, often, we talk about whether it'd be worth remaking and all that and yeah. it's oh it's such an entertaining movie okay I know that's that's on my list that and then uh, I'll Be Seeing You is another movie he recommended like, Joseph that? Cotton Joseph, I haven't I've been trying to look for it and can't I seem to find it I haven't it. heard of it yeah the title oh. sounds familiar I feel like I've seen it but I don't remember I'll yeah. recommend a, a short one you can't even yeah. see because I just bought. I just got a. Um, <laughs> I, got, I have a 16 millimeter projector. I just bought a print of this movie because. Uh, but I think it might be on YouTube. It was a a, a movie called JT. Hmm. It's with. Uh, it's about a young black kid. Wait, with a, a hooker? The, no, 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 not that. It, He's got a little cat. Yes. And he lives in a yeah. And it's uh it's the a beautiful. Is... It's a, it a made for TV thing. It's written by Jane Wagner. Uh, Lady Thomas' partner. Name? It's, oh, it's Kevin Hooks. Hooks. Kevin Hooks. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Hooks. Not yeah. a hooker. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Hooks. I think it was about a hooker. That's why I was. I was like, oh, hooker. No, not different. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a really sad movie. Yeah, Wasn't yeah. it on like CBS? Yeah, so the CBS TV movie, but it's really sweet. It's about a poor kid who's trying to take care of. Sounder. Yes. Yeah. And this is about around the same time period. And it's a beautiful little, like, you know, he's got a little cat and he's living like in the projects. And, he's and it's taking, called TJ. Uh, JT. JT. JT, sorry. Is he the Kevin Hooks who is a director? Yes, he is. He's had okay. a fine career. I think the cat, something bad happens to the yeah, cat. Yeah, something bad happens oh, to the cat. Oh, God. Why do things cat. always bad happen to a cat? Okay. So, you want to come over and watch it in 60mm, come over to my house, but it might be on YouTube. All righty. Okay. All right. Well, that's, I have what, what, what's, what's, what's your... My fa- my favorite Christmas cotton movie. That's what you're gonna do. They're uh, the well, I you know I was. I, it's all the regular. You know, yeah. it's a wonderful life. Miracle and, on 34th Street is great. That's that you know everyone goes to it's a wonderful life, but Miracle on 34th Street is a great one. I would say I surprise people by saying I watched Elf every year. Mm-hmm. I actually really think Elf holds yeah, up. Elf oh, I haven't I haven't revisited Elf. I really think it holds up, and uh, I that that always you know surprised people. And I do love Christmas in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I think, and I like Holiday Inn, but even though. And it, you know, it'd be a great movie to watch on Christmas. What? Dolomite is my name. Uh, yeah. Yes. Because there is a scene that takes place. On Christmas. They're going to the movies at Christmas, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. So go watch that on Christmas. That's right. Well, it's in or, my. Or Die Hard. Or Die Hard. Or Die yes. Hard. Or Batman Returns. Yes, and. <laughs> 
And also, if you're looking for Christmas presents, the, I would suggest the Joe Pesci uh, CD. He's a great hmm. oh, Christmas, Christmas really? gift. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a housewarming. When you go to someone's house, that, that's, my, that's my housewarming gift for people. Nice. I always like to bring some fun little unexpected, you know. Well, here, here's my here's my Christmas present from from Dan Waters, which says it's a picture of Alan Rickman about to fall off the building. <laughs> it says it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls from Nakatomi Plaza. Amen. I like that one. We're gonna take a picture of that one. Yeah. All right. And Ruby Moore does have a Christmas album. Oh, that yeah, That's right. I, think you, I think you showed it. I think it's called like uh, Ain't No White Christmas. So those album covers are. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely crazy. All righty. Well, I've got nothing else to say. It's been a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful Christmas. Uh, thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. See you in the new year. And as we always end the podcast, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's the end of our movie today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Scott. Any oh, final Yeah, thank you. No? Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the film scene with Ileana Douglas, airing exclusively on the Popcorn Talk Network. We bring you this show for free because we're just as passionate and borderline obsessed with film as you are. And it would mean a lot if you would please subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It takes five minutes to review the show, but it helps other film junkies find the show and continue to spread a love of classic and contemporary film. For guest inquiries or live bookings, you can email me, Jeff Graham, at guests at afterbuzztv.com. That's G-U-E-S-T-S at A-F-T-E-R-B-U-Z-Z dot com. For more incredible film content, check us out online at The Popcorn Talk, and we'll see you after the credits.